نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي ربنا زدنا علما باب إيجاب التكبير وافتتاح الصلاة This is the chapter heading The book is of Adhan And these are chapters related to the description of the prayer. The first, the first bab is of ijab takbiri wa ftitahi salah. Ijab. What does ijab mean? Ijab is from wujub. Waw, jim, ba. Wujub, wajib, meaning to be obligatory. So ijab, meaning the obligation of. The obligation of what? What is obligatory? What is Imam Bukhari proving? The obligation of takbir. What does takbir mean? To say, Allahu Akbar. Takbir is to say, Allahu Akbar. It is from Akbar, right? Kath Bara. So takbir, to say, Allahu Akbar. So the obligation of saying the takbir, waftitahi salah. Wa and iftitah. Iftitah is from Fatah. What does Fataha mean? To open. Al-Fatiha. The opening, the beginning. The opening of something means it's beginning. So iftitah is salah, meaning the beginning of the prayer. Meaning what has saying the takbir got to do with the opening of the prayer, with the beginning of the prayer? And Bukhari says, the takbir is wajib. You have to say the takbir in order to begin the prayer. If a person does not say the takbir, his salah is not complete because he never really entered the prayer. He never really began the prayer. And once a person says Allahu Akbar, then he has entered the salah. Then he has to leave everything behind. He has to forget about everything else. And and he is in the state of prayer. You see, until you say Allahu Akbar, you can look up, you can look right, you can look left. You can be fixing your hijab, you can be talking to somebody, even if you're standing on your prayer mat, even if you're standing in the row. But once you say, Allahu Akbar, then what happens? Silence. Then what happens in the masjid? Everybody is standing straight. Why? Because they have entered the prayer. Now what's the evidence of this? That salah begins with Allahu Akbar. What's the evidence? Imam Bukhari uses several ahadith. What are those ahadith? Let's look at them. The first one is, حدثنا أبو اليماني قال أخبرنا شعيب عن الزهري قال أخبرني أنا سبن مالك الأنصاري أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ركب فرسا فجحش شقه الأيمن قال أنس رضي الله عنه فصلى لنا يومئذ صلاة من الصلوات وهو قاعد فصلينا وراءه قعودا ثم قال لما سلم إنما جعل الإمام ليؤتم به فإذا صلى قائما فصلوا قياما وإذا ركع فاركعوا وإذا رفع فارفعوا وإذا سجد فاسجدوا وإذا قال سمع الله لمن حمده فقولوا ربنا ولك الحمد So this is the complete hadith What do you see at the beginning of the hadith? Few names Hmm? Who are those people? The narrators. And then, let's look at the isnad. It begins with, حدثنا. 
What does حدثنا mean? He narrated to us. He narrated this hadith to us. Who's saying this? Imam Bukhari. He's saying that he narrated to us who? Abu Yaman. Abu Yaman. So what does it show? Abu Yaman was one of the teachers of Imam Bukhari. Remember he had over 1,000? So always look at the first word, first name. Who's the first name? You'll find a lot of different names over there. So Abu Yaman narrated to Imam Bukhari. Now you see, حَدَّثَنَا He narrated to us. What does us mean? That Imam Bukhari was not the only person sitting before Abu Yaman. There was a group of students. And to those group of students, Abu Yaman narrated this hadith. Okay? قَالَ أَخْبَرَنَا شُعَيْبٌ Abu Yaman said that Shu'ayb informed us. Shu'ayb informed us. Now, there's a difference between حَدَّثَنَا and أَخْبَرَنَا. In hadith terminology, there is a difference. And later on, you see عَنِ الزُّهْرِيِّ From الزُّهْرِيِّ Okay? Now, these differences, inshallah, you will learn in علوم الحديث. That when a muhaddith says حَدَّثَنَا or when he says عَن or when he says أَخْبَرَنَا What does he mean by that? What does that tell us about the method in which he received the hadith from his teacher? Okay? Inshallah, you will learn these details in علوم الحديث. So, he took hadith from Az-Zuhri. Who said that أَخْبَرَنِي Anas ibn Malik. Who is Anas ibn Malik? Al-Ansari. Who is he? A sahabi A companion of the Prophet ﷺ. So, just look at these names now. Anas ibn Malik is the Sahabi. So that makes Az-Zuhri who? A Tabi'i. Okay? And that makes Shu'ayb who? A Tabi'i. And that makes Abu Yaman for generation after that. So how many people between Imam Bukhari and the Prophet ﷺ in this chain? First Abu Yaman, secondly Shu'ayb, then Zuhri, then Anas bin Malik. How many? Four. Only four. So Anas ibn Malik anhu he narrated that Anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam once he rakiba farasan he's narrating an incident over here. Notice he's not mentioning the statement first he's mentioning an incident. He's saying that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam rakiba. What does rakiba mean? He embarked. He rode. He rode on what farasan a horse. He rode a horse and fajuhisha. فَجُحِشَ شِقُّهُ الْأَيْمَنِ جُحِشَ is from the root letters جِيم Shin. Yes, we haven't said by two root letters. Okay? Even though you have completed your تَعْدِيمُ Quran, root letters, knowing the root of the word, is your lifelong companion now, inshallah. Okay? So, فَجُحِشَ جُحِشَ is basically when the skin gets scratched or scraped, the abrasion of the skin. And this basically happens when you have an injury. So for example, a person running and all of a sudden falling. So what happens to the knee? It gets scraped. What happens to the elbow? This is what life is about, right? Especially for children, that they're constantly getting hurt. Their skin is getting scraped. It's getting scratched. So this is called this is what juhisha means. So the Prophet ﷺ, juhisha, it was, it was grazed, what shiqqul ayman, shiq, his side, which side, al ayman, the right side. 
So what does that mean? The Prophet ﷺ had an injury. He was riding a horse. He must have fallen and he must have injured his right side. And especially his right side. Imagine his right side. It got scratched from many, many places. The skin, you know, it was grazed from many, many places. And obviously if a person has been hurt in this way, then uh, performing salah, standing, may be difficult. Right? قَالَ أَنَسٌ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ أَنَسْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ said فَصَلَّى لَنَا يَوْمَئِذٍ صَلَاةً So one day, the Prophet ﷺ prayed with us. صَلَّى لَنَا He prayed for us, meaning he led us in the prayer. يَوْمَئِذٍ one day. صَلَاةً A prayer. مِنَ الصَّلَوَاتِ From one of the prayers, meaning one of the five daily prayers. The Prophet ﷺ led us. How? وَهْوَ While he was قَاعِدٌ Sitting. He wasn't able to stand, so the Prophet ﷺ was sitting. And while he was sitting, he was leading us in prayer. فَصَلَّيْنَا So we prayed وَرَاءَهُ behind him قُعُودًا Sitting. We also sat behind him. Because he was sitting, so we also sat. We didn't stand. ثُمَّ قَالَ لَمَّا سَلَّمَ Then he said, when he said the salam, meaning when he ended the prayer, he said, إِنَّمَا جُعِلَ الْإِمَامُ لِيُؤْتَمَّ بِهِ the imam is appointed in order to be followed. If the imam is there, the people behind him are supposed to follow him. فَإِذَا صَلَّى قَائِمًا So when he prays while standing, فَصَلُّوا قِيَامًا So you should also pray standing. وَإِذَا رَكَعَ فَرْكَعُوا When he goes down into rukur, then you should also go down into rukur. Don't keep you know, reciting your surah. No, you have to stop there and go down into Rukur because the Imam went into Rukur. وَإِذَا رَفَعَ And when he gets up from the Rukur, what should you do? فَرْفَعُوا You should also get up. وَإِذَا سَجَدَ And when he goes down into Sajda, فَسْجُدُوا Then you should also go down into Sajda. وَإِذَا قَالَ سَمِعَ اللَّهُ لِمَنْ حَمِدَ And when the Imam says, سَمِعَ اللَّهُ لِمَنْ حَمِدَ Allah has heard the one who praised him. فَقُولُوا Then you should say, رَبَّنَا وَلَكَ الْحَمْدُ Oh our Lord, for you is all praise. Let's look at the next hadith. حَدَّثَنَا قُتَيْبَةُ بْنُ سَعِيدٍ Now Imam Bukhari is taking this hadith from who? Qutayba ibn Sa'id. Who is saying, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا لَيْثٌ عَنْ ابْنِ شِهَابٍ عَنْ أَنَسِ ابْنِ مَالِكٍ Now if you think about it, a different chain, but leading up to who? Anas ibn Malik عنه, Same companion who narrated the previous incident. Okay. But in this chain, the wordings are slightly different. أَنَّهُ قَالَ That he said, خَرَّ الرَّسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ عَنْ فَرَسٍ The Prophet ﷺ fell from a horse. Now, Anas is narrating that incident. Different people heard that incident from him. Perhaps at different occasions. This is why the wordings are different, the details are slightly different. In this narration, Anas said, the Prophet ﷺ fell. In the previous one we learned, he rode. Over there falling was not mentioned. That was just understood. But over here it is clearly mentioned that خَرَّ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ عَنْ فَرَسٍ From a horse. فَجُحِشَ So his skin was grazed. فَصَلَّى لَنَا قَاعِدًا فَصَلَّيْنَا مَعَهُ قُعُودًا So he led us in prayer while sitting and we also sat behind him. ثُمَّ انصَرَفَ Then when he ended the prayer, فَقَالَ So he said, إِنَّمَا الْإِمَامِ Indeed the Imam. أَوْ إِنَّمَا جُعِلَ الْإِمَام or he said that indeed the imam has only been placed, meaning he has been 
placed before you لِيُؤْتَمَّ So that he is followed. فَإِذَا كَبَّرَ فَكَبِّرُوا When he says the takbir, then you should also كَبِّرُوا وَإِذَا رَكَعَ فَرْكَعُوا When he goes into rukur, then you should also do rukur. وَإِذَا رَفَعَ فَرْفَعُوا When he gets up, then you should also get up. وَإِذَا قَالَ سَمِعَ اللَّهُ لِمَنْ حَمِدَ When he says سَمِعَ اللَّهُ لِمَنْ حَمِدَ فَقُولُوا رَبَّنَا لَكَ الْحَمْدُ Then you should say رَبَّنَا لَكَ الْحَمْدُ وَإِذَا سَجَدَ فَاسْجُدُوا When he goes into sajda, then you should also go into sajda. I want you to compare these two ahadith. Same incident. Okay? Narrated by the same companion, but different details. This is why learning only one hadith about a particular incident is not sufficient. If there are other ahadith, then they should also be considered. They should also be read. So that you can get a more complete picture. Okay? And if you think about it, in one narration it was said, Rabbana walaka alhamd. In this narration it is said, Rabbana laka alhamd. Let's look at the third hadith also. Haddathana Abu Yamani. Now who is this? Imam Bukhari's teacher, but the same one. Abu Yaman. Okay? Qala akhbarana shu'aybun. He said, shu'ayb told us. Qala haddathani Abu Zinadi. Now if you go back to the first hadith. It was from Abu Yaman who took it from Shu'aib. But in the first one, he took it from who? Az-Zuhri. Over here, he takes the hadith from who? Abu Zinad. Anil A'raji. An Abi Huraira. So who's the companion now? Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu. Qala qala Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He said, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Innama ju'ila al-imamu liyu'tamma bih. The imam has been placed in order to be followed. Fa'idha kabbara fakabbiru. When he does takbir, then you should also do takbir. وَإِذَا رَكَعَ فَرْقَعُ When he goes into rukur, you should also do rukur. وَإِذَا قَالَ سَمِعَ اللَّهُ لِمَنْ حَمِدَ فَقُولُوا رَبَّنَا وَلَكَ الْحَمْدُ وَإِذَا سَجَدَ فَاسْجُدُوا وَإِذَا صَلَّ جَالِسًا فَصَلُّوا جُلُوسًا أَجْمَعُونَ When he sits and prays, then you should also sit and pray, all of you together. Now, there's two companions over here. Anas Same incident. Different details. Anas mentions the part that the Prophet ﷺ was sitting on a horse and he fell. Abu Huraira leaves that out completely. He just mentions the statement of the Prophet ﷺ. Okay? And different chains narrating that same incident. Does it broaden our understanding? It does. Now, the two ahadith of Anas and the one hadith of Abu Huraira all these three ahadiths, what do they prove to us? That takbir is wajib. How? How is it wajib? Okay. We learn, فَإِذَا كَبَّرَ فَكَبِّرُوا When he does takbir, then you should also do takbir. Okay. In, in two ahadiths, this is mentioned. فَإِذَا كَبَّرَ فَكَبِّرُوا That makes it clear. The first hadith, how does that prove to us? The first hadith proves to us that you have to follow the imam. Hmm? You have to follow the imam. And فَإِذَا صَلَّ قَائِمًا فَصَلُّوا قِيَامًا When he's standing to pray, then you should also pray, standing behind him. Obviously, if someone is standing to pray, how does he begin? With the takbir. And you learn that detail from where? From other ahadith. Okay? So, I want you to notice something over here. Sometimes a hadith does not directly prove but it's 
clear from the wordings and the other ahadith which are similar, okay, it directly or indirectly, they prove a point. And that is what Imam Bukhari is teaching us. Directly or indirectly. So all of these ahadith, they prove, either directly or indirectly, that takbir is wajib. Because إِذَا كَبَّرَ فَكَبِّرُوا And this is referring to which takbir? Takbiratul ihram which is the first, the opening takbir, that when you begin the prayer, how do you begin? By saying, Allahu Akbar. And in another hadith, which we learned in Sahih Muslim, remember the hadith where uh, there was a man who was once praying, and the Prophet ﷺ told him, Irji' fasalli, go back and pray because you have not prayed. So he went back and prayed multiple times, and eventually he said, please teach me. And the Prophet ﷺ, when he taught him the proper method of prayer, he began by saying, إِذَا قُمْتَ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ فكبر. When you stand in order to pray, then what should you do? فكبر. Then you should say the takbir. Now the first hadith that mentioned standing for prayer. From other hadith we learn, standing in prayer means فكبر, that you should do takbir. This is why the ulama have said that salah cannot be begun without the takbir. Salah begins with the takbir. And the, 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 the takbir means both the words and the actions. You have to say Allahu Akbar and you have to raise your hands. And a person cannot say something which is like Allahu Akbar. So for example, a person says, Allahu Ajal, Allahu A'zam. No, you can't say that. You have to say Allahu Akbar. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, Kabir. Kabir, meaning say the takbir. It has to be these words. Now, from these ahadiths, what are the other lessons that we learn? What are the any other observations that you had? That if a person has, you know, a physical pain or ailment somewhere, then he can pray sitting down. Following the imam. Following the imam. That if he's sitting and leading the people in prayer, then the people behind him also have to sit and pray. They cannot be standing. They also have to be sitting. You have to follow the imam. Now, what does that teach us? The importance of following the leader. Hmm? Whether it is in the salah or outside of the salah. Because if you think about it, the Prophet ﷺ is physically injured. But yet he is leading people in prayer. He doesn't say, you know what, I'm not doing too good, so go pray yourselves today. No. First of all, the importance of unity, of being together. The importance of praying salah even when you're physically injured, you're physically wounded. And then being together no matter what's going on in your life. You know, many times it happens that we're having a personal issue, we're having a personal problem. But we, but other people have to suffer because of that. No. When everybody has to be together for a certain cause, yes, you know, one person has an issue, another person has a different issue. But when we have committed to a cause, then we are going to come together, regardless of what's going on in our lives. And we learned this from the way of the Prophet ﷺ. It didn't matter whether his entire side of the body was scraped, it was wounded. It was time to pray. It was his commitment to lead people in prayer. He led people in prayer, even though it was difficult for him. And you see, the Sahaba, they're, they're praying behind him. And the Prophet ﷺ says that if the Imam is sitting, you should also sit. Now, sometimes it happens that the leader, they have an issue, they're incapable of doing something, 
But you have that capability, you have that ability. But what do we learn here? No, but if his means are less, then you have to limit yourself over there also. Sometimes the leadership of certain individuals seems restrictive. Hmm? That if I have to be with them, then I feel very limited. I don't want to be controlled. I'd like to have my freedom and my authority to do whatever I want. But the thing is that this is what leadership is about. If each person goes on making their own decisions and following their own desires, then can people be together? No. Can they ever be united? No. For example, in a household, okay, who's the qawwam? The husband. Which means that every major decision, I mean, he makes it. He has to be consulted. But if the wife says, that, no, even I work and I also make money and I also have my own life and I can also drive and I can also go places, I can make my own decisions, then what will happen? The husband is bringing dinner home and she's also bringing dinner home and which is rare. You know, everybody has their own life, own decisions. The husband says, no, I'm going to get this couch and the wife says, no, no, you know what? I don't need to consult you. I'll just go buy a couch myself. And all of a sudden you have a pink couch and a yellow couch in the same living room. It's not going to work. Life is going to be a mess. So you do have your freedom in, in many matters and many affairs, but in certain matters, you have to accept the leadership of others. Even if it may seem restrictive, but you have to accept it. And this is a lesson that we learn from Salah. The Imam is not able to stand, and you have to respect that. And out of that respect, you also have to be sitting, because you have to follow the Imam. Because if you're not following, you're not going to be on the same page, you're not going to be, going to be together. That unity is going to be missing. I mean, look at the Prophet wasallam's hirs for unity. How much he wanted the ummah to be together. Because unity is strength. That even in prayer, be together. Not that a person says, you know what, if you can't stand, I'm going to stand. You don't agree with me, fine, I'll go my own way. What is our problem today? That every person, mashallah, headstrong, if they don't agree with the other, bye. But will, will our, will any, any kind of work, can it grow like this? Husband and wife, are they ever together always on the same page? No. You have differences. Always. And it's very important to learn this life skill, difference management. That you learn to manage, you know, the situations in your life, despite the differences that you may have. It's a very important skill. And this skill, Salah teaches us. You will always come across people whom you differ with. You see things one way, they see things differently. Another important lesson that we learn from here is that bad things can happen to good people also. And that's perfectly normal. This is what life is about. The Prophet ﷺ being the Prophet of Allah, he's sitting on a horse and he falls and the entire side of his body is scraped. When I when I was reading this hadith for the first time, I was kind of shocked that really the Prophet ﷺ got injured? No, I, I don't want that injury to happen to him. Because we view things very differently that if someone gets physically injured or they have a physical problem, then they must be very sinful inside or there must be, you know, they're being punished for some sins. Okay, possible. Because every human being is sinful. All the children of Adam make mistakes. 
But just because someone is suffering from a problem, don't think that they are extremely evil and they are a hypocrite and they are this and that. No. Always think positively about others. And even yourself, if you are suffering from something, don't think that you are an absolute loser and there's no hope left for you. No. Bad things, trials, they're a part of life. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing us. That what is our reaction at that time? What are we doing in that state of injury, in that state of pain? That is the Prophet ﷺ in that state of injury, is he still leading the people in prayer? And we see that the Prophet ﷺ, despite his hardships, how he led people in prayer, even when he was physically injured, at this occasion, and at many other occasions. Uh, previously in Kitab al-Salah, we have learned about many ahadith about the end of the Prophet ﷺ's life. That how in his last few days when he was extremely ill, even then he tried his best to come and lead the people in prayer. He had extreme, he had very high fever. He was unconscious. He asked that water be brought to him to, so that he could do wudu. He did it. Again, he felt unconscious. He asked that water be brought so he could, you know, it could be poured on him. It happened. And again, he felt unconscious. He attempted many times to uh, lead people in prayer, but he realized that it was beyond his capacity. And then he sent word that Abu Bakr should lead the people in prayer. So, hardships, trials, they're a part of life. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests as to how obedient we are in good times and also in bad times. When we are suffering and also when we're happy. How consistent are we? Because it is these, you know, different situations that really demonstrate the faith that we have, the love that we have for Allah, the fear that we have for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <clears throat> also, one more thing I want you to observe, that in these different narrations we learn the words, Rabbana lakal hamd, and Rabbana walakal hamd. Now, which one is correct? Both are correct. And when both are correct, what does it mean? That we should use both? Don't limit yourself to only one. So say, Rabbana lakal hamd, and also say, رَبَّنَا وَلَكَ الْحَمْدُ Alright? Because when you find different versions of different adhkar, then what is best that you use all of them. You say all of them. Because variety brings beauty also. So is this bab clear? Okay. Next bab. Bab رَفْعِ الْيَدَيْنِ فِي التَّكْبِيرَةِ الْأُولَى مَعَ الْإِفْتِتَاحِ سَوَاءً رَفْعِ what does rafr mean? To raise. Al-yadayn. Of the two hands. So the raising of both hands when? Fit-takbirat ula In the first takbir. And what is that first takbir? When you begin the prayer. Okay. So raising your hands when you're saying the first takbir, when you're beginning the prayer, it should be ma'al iftitah. It is with the iftitah, meaning it is with the beginning of the prayer. Sawa'an, equal, meaning both at the same time. What does this mean? The question is that in the previous bab we learned, takbir you have to say. You have to say Allahu Akbar. Over here, Imam Bukhari proves that you're not just saying Allahu Akbar, you also have to raise your hands. And both of them should be together. Sawa'an. At the same time. Not that a person is just standing there and he says, Allahu Akbar. And after a few moments, 
Or he says this, he, he, he moves his hands up and folds his hands on his chest and after a few moments says, oh, Allahu Akbar. No, both of them have to be at the same time together. This is how the salah begins. Haddathana Abdullah ibn Maslamata. Another name, new name. Another teacher of Imam Bukhari. An Malikin, an Ibn Shihabin, an Salim ibn Abdullah, an Abihi. Now there is more than four people here, right? Between the, uh, uh, Imam Bukhari and the Prophet sallallahu So this chain is slightly longer. An Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kana yarfa'u yadayhi. Who is saying? Salim ibn Abdullah, his father, is saying. His father Abdullah, he's saying that the Prophet ﷺ used to yarfa'u yadayhi. He used to raise both his hands. Up to where? Hadwa mankibayhi. Up to his shoulders. Not ears. Okay? Not below the shoulders. Where? Up to the shoulders. Okay? Hadwa mankibayhi. Hadwa. What does hadwa mean? Hadwa means to be parallel to. Okay? To be parallel to, to be opposite to, to be in front of, to be face to face with someone. So his hands were basically parallel to his shoulders, meaning right in front of the shoulders. Okay? Hadwa man kibayhi idaftataha salata. When he would open the prayer, meaning when he would begin the prayer. So a sahabi is saying the Prophet ﷺ used to lift up his hands also with the takbir when he began the prayer. And he did the same thing, وَإِذَا كَبَّرَ لِلْرُكُوعِ And also when he did takbir for rukur, meaning when he went down to rukur, when he would say Allahu Akbar to go down to rukur, he wouldn't just say Allahu Akbar. Along with that, he would also raise his hands. وَإِذَا رَفَعَ رَأْسَهُ And when he raised his head مِنَ الرُكُوعِ from the rukur. رَفَعَهُمَا كذلك. He raised them both, meaning both his hands, also, likewise. Meaning, he raised his hands while saying Allahu Akbar at the beginning of the prayer. And again, he raised his hands when he would go down for rukur, as he said Allahu Akbar. And also, thirdly, when? When he would get up from rukur, he would, he would also raise his hands. But when he got up from rukur, he wouldn't say Allahu Akbar at that time. What would he say? وَقَالَ أَيْضًا also وَقَالَ And he said سَمِعَ اللَّهُ لِمَنْ حَمِدَهُ رَبَّنَا وَلَكَ الْحَمْدِ He would say this when he got up from Rukur. وَكَانَ لَا يَفْعَلُ ذَلِكَ And he would not do that. What? Raising his hands فِي السُّجُودِ For sujood. Meaning when going down into sajda, when getting up from sajda, he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't raise his hands. He would only raise his hands when? At the beginning of the prayer and when going to Rukur and coming up from Rukur. Okay? Clear? <clears throat> now in this hadith, what do we learn? What is Imam Bukhari proving over here? That you have to raise your hands with the takbir. Okay? When? At the beginning of the prayer, you have to raise your hands with the takbir. Not every time you say takbir in salah, but at certain times. Now, salah begins with the takbir. And with the takbir, we learn that hands must also be raised. And sawa in the bab, it means equal, meaning both should be together. What should be together? The words and the action. What words? Allahu Akbar. Which action? Raising of the hands. Meaning, it should be simultaneous. 
How do we learn that from this hadith? كَانَ يَرْفَعُ يَدَيْهِ حَذْوَ مَنْ كِبَيْهِ إِذَا فْتَتَحَ الصَّلَاةَ وَإِذَا كَبَّرَ لِلْرُكُورِ So this proves, these words prove that raising the hands is also important. Now, when it comes to raising the hands, when saying Allahu Akbar, there are three possibilities. One possibility is uh, simultaneously, together. That you begin, you know, the raising of your hands as you begin saying Allahu Akbar. And you bring your hands down as you finish saying Allahu Akbar. Both the word Allahu Akbar and the action of raising hand begin together and they end together. Simultaneously. Okay, this is one possibility. And this is proven. يَرْفَعُ يَدَيْهِ حِينَ يُكَبِّرُ He would raise his hands when he would say takbir. Another possibility is that a person raises his hands. His hands are already raised. And then he says Allahu Akbar. Okay? So for example, Allahu Akbar. One is that Allahu Akbar. Another is Allahu Akbar. You understand? The hands came first, then came Allahu Akbar. Not that the hands moved from their position of, of being straight. Okay? And this is also proven. In another narration, we learned that the Prophet ﷺ raised both his hands and then he said, Allahu Akbar. The third possibility is that a person says the takbir, Allahu Akbar, and then he raises his hand. So, Allahu Akbar. You understand? There is a slight difference. And this is also proven from the sunnah, kabbara thumma rafa'ayadayhi. He said the takbir and then he raised his hands. So what do we learn from all these different reports that I mentioned to you right now? The matter is very broad in the sense that just because your takbir and raising hands were a second apart doesn't mean that your takbir was improper. It's natural. It's natural because salah is not mechanical, right? It's not mechanical. It's going. To, it's natural that as you're saying Allahu Akbar, sometimes it's going to be exactly at the same time and sometimes it's going to be a slight difference. So no big deal. As long as... They're about at the same time. It's no big deal. Clear? Okay. Now, in this hadith, we also see that the Prophet ﷺ did not raise his hands when going to sujood. Now, this means that even for sajda tilawa, even for sajda tilawa, when you're going down from qiyam to sajda, you're not required to raise your hands. Many people do that. Many people do that. That behind the imam when they're standing and the imam says, Allahu Akbar, they raise their hands and then go into sajda. No. Before sajda, there is no raising of the hands. You go directly into sajda. And you see, it is more uh, literally kharra. You know, like falling into sajda? Like, it's like right there. You go down to sajda. You don't even have time to raise your hands. Just go straight down into sajda. You just fall prostrate. Hmm? Now, there is a question. What is the wisdom of raising the hands with the takbir? Why? Why do we have to do that? Firstly, why say Allahu Akbar at the beginning of the prayer? What does Allahu Akbar mean? Allah is just great? Greatest or greater because it's, it is ismut tafdil, right? So when Akbar is followed by min, then it means greater than such and such and so and so. But if you notice, there is no min. Why? Because Allahu Akbar from who? Everyone and everything. Which means that when you're beginning the prayer, 
then you begin with Allah is greater than everything and everyone that I was busy with. So I'm going to leave everything and everyone behind and focus on who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only. Allahu Akbar. Now, raising the hands, why raise the hands? What's the wisdom behind that? Hmm? Surrender. Okay. That you are acknowledging Allah's greatness and your nothingness. Absolute surrender. With this physical action of raising the hands and then folding them on your chest, this is like a, a physical switch also. You know that you are, you are entering the state of prayer. You're not just saying Allah is greatest and you are going to begin the prayer. It's like a physical, physical shift. And think about it. If you were to start praying just like, it's not the same. You know, when you say Allahu Akbar, it's like you're leaving everything behind and now you're focused in prayer. It's like physically you're entering the prayer, mentally, psychologically, your whole body and your soul entering the prayer. Imam al-Shafi'i was asked that what is the purpose of Rafa al-Yadain? What's the wisdom behind raising of the hands? He said, ta'aleem for Allah. In order to glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And also, because we follow the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. The simple reason is he did it, so we do it too. You know, Allahu Akbar is glorifying Allah through words. And raising up your hands is glorifying Allah through your actions. Also some scholars have said that a benefit is that when the imam says Allahu Akbar, and at the same time he raises his hands, then the person who is deaf, who cannot hear, he saw the physical action. And the person who is blind, he didn't see, he heard the words. You understand? So everyone knows, salah has begun. And many times you may have noticed that, you know, you see someone going like this, you don't really hear them. You know, when a person is praying individually, just because you see them going like this, you know that, oh, they're praying. Because from the back, you can't really tell. But when you see them raising their hands, you know that they are entering the state of prayer. So there is wisdom. So inshallah, we will conclude over here your homework. Your homework is to read out loud. Read out loud. What? The ahadith in Arabic. Read out loud. And don't think about how you sound. Okay? Don't worry about making mistakes. You will make mistakes. It's okay. No big deal. But unless we try, how are we going to improve? So if you feel more comfortable, shut the doors. When you're all alone, then read. But you have to read. Okay? Promise? Inshallah. You have to read. Inshallah. And in your groups also, you're going to read. So for today, this is the only homework I'm giving you. Read and practice the Arabic text because the better you know these words, the more familiar you will be with hadith, inshallah. And inshallah, you will have your groups in which a more uh, revision will be done, inshallah. Okay? And if there's any questions, please uh, feel free to email me and also use the Mayal Huda mode of communication, inshallah. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh